it's really not a big secret um, that my sense of humor tends to be a little off. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I, I had this image of pastors that, you know, that they were like dignified and, and classy, sometimes maybe a little bit severe um, and, and holy. Imagine my shock then to find myself as a pastor and uh, I look at myself and I'm like, dignified? Uh, not so much. Classy? Hardly. Holy? Uh, I'm really much more attuned to the, uh, the lowbrow, the ridiculous, and the earthy. And I mention that because there is a Christmas song. It has nothing to do with Christ. It, it is not even really remotely related to any of the real meaning of Christmas. But there's this Christmas song that I find to be absolutely hilarious. And notice that I said that I find it to be funny. That doesn't mean that it actually is. The song is called The Twelve Pains of Christmas. I see some of you nodding. Maybe you've heard this. No? Okay. All right. Well, the, the Twelve Pains of Christmas is sung to the Twelve Days of Christmas, the tune. Um, starting with number 12, the singing Christmas carols, stale TV specials, batteries not included. Parents, grandparents, you know, oh, I got you this great gift. Oh, you can't do anything with it till I buy batteries. Um, finding, that's supposed to be their finding, not finning. Um, parking spaces, whining children, the Salvation Army, facing my in-laws, Five months of bills. Uh, pause on this one for a second. I recently read a news story that said that there's a significant portion of Americans, they're still paying for last year's Christmas. Five months of bills, 12 months of bills or more. I mean, what a mess. Sending Christmas cards, hangovers, whatever those are. Oh. Rigging up the lights and finding a Christmas tree. The song is satirical. It, it's, it's, it comes from a sarcastic slant. Um, and and it's, as you take it all together, it, it presents these, these pains of, of Christmas, creating a picture of a season of, of chaos, of frustration and annoyance. And whether you can you know, resonate with the, the humor that's here in, in the song or not, um, many people find this season leading up to Christmas to be too busy, too stressful, and too much. Even if they enjoy much of the, uh, the, the, the craziness of the season. And so much of our modern celebration uh, of Christmas is, is so far from God's message of, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So... I'll ask the question that I'm going to ask all through the season. What do you want for Christmas? Could any of you stand a little bit more peace in your life? In your family? In your world? In your heart? Because I can. We have these, these scripture readings today, and when we heard Paul's greeting that he gives over and over again, where he greets people with grace to you and peace. 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is a good gift that God gives. Uh, and as I look at this, this verse, this part from Philippians chapter 1, there really should be no doubt among us that God gives peace to his people. But I find it interesting that this reading is paired with the gospel reading and the Old Testament reading that we have today. You know, Paul is saying to us, grace and peace. But it stands rather in contrast to what Malachi says. He talks about the coming of the Lord's messenger, and he asks, but who can endure the day of his coming? His message will be like fire and refinement. Now, I don't know about you, but the refining process does not sound pleasant or peaceful at all to me. When you refine precious metals, you heat them up really hot until they melt, and then you burn off the impurities. Ouch! He's talking about our lives here. Or or how about in our gospel lesson? When when John preaches the ever-so-encouraging message, You brood of vipers! I think he read, you know, how to influence people and make friends. (laughs) Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? The axe is laid at the root of the trees. This is John. This is, this is the guy who's preparing the way for the Lord. There's his peaceful words. And by the way, who are the trees? The, the people that he's talking to. What do these messages have to do with peace? Well, I think part of the issue that we have is that when we use the word peace, we often have kind of a limited understanding of what the word means. We use it in a rather narrow sense. When we talk about peace, we're usually talking about the absence of conflict. Um, You know, the absence of war, the end of war. Um, People getting along with each other. Or even nations getting along with each other. We tend to think of peace politically. In biblical terms, though, the concept of peace, or shalom, as the Hebrew says, uh, is actually much bigger. The Hebrew word shalom means wholeness, health, well-being. It's rooted in the idea of, of being fully the person God created us to be, walking in his paths, living according to his ways. It's more than political. And it's more than spiritual. It affects the whole person. And peace, peace becomes disrupted by the forces at work inside of us that that draw us away from God's paths. that, That lead us into different ways so that we become something other than what God created us to be. Let me, let me try to get at this you know, with, a, with an example. Neville Chamberlain. Neville Chamberlain was the prime minister of England in the uh, mid to late 1930s. And uh, um, in 1938, there was a lot of craziness going on in Europe. A lot of turmoil. And uh, Chamberlain attended a, uh, a, a summit, an important meeting in Munich, Germany. And, and 
he helped to forge what was called at the time the Munich Agreement. And Mr. Chamberlain, he returned to England and famously proclaimed that the agreement that he had made, the agreement that he had made with one Adolf Hitler, maybe you've heard of him if you haven't heard of Chamberlain, that this agreement with Hitler would provide peace for our time. The peace that he was speaking of, it was the absence of war. But was there peace for their time? No. Less than a year after Chamberlain gave that speech, uh, Germany invaded Poland and declared war against France and the United Kingdom. That was peace for their time. Now, how could that happen? They had an agreement. They had negotiated. They had had gotten assurances. What happened? Nazi Germany happened. You know, the Third Reich was a malignant, destructive force that was absolutely determined to take over the world. And the only thing that was going to stop them was defeating them. And the only way to restore peace was to destroy the one causing war. Now, there's a similar problem that that goes on inside of us. A malignant, destructive force that, that is determined to take over our lives. And that problem is sin. That force at work inside of us is our sin. And the Word of God teaches that the sinful mind is hostile to God. It's it's at war with Him. And there is part of us that constantly wants to usurp, to rebel, and to disobey God. So where do we get peace? Well, we get peace because... God has intervened. God's ways and his paths lead to peace. Meaning that that when we live within his will for us, when we trust his promises, that we will actually experience a peace that surpasses human understanding. It's a peace that the world cannot give. But what happens when we leave God's ways? What happens when we, we choose our own paths instead of God's paths? not peace. Hence, who can withstand the day of his coming? He is like a refiner's fire. And the warning, the axe is at the roots of the tree. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. As long as there's there's sin, we're going to struggle with having peace, wholeness, health, and life with, as God intended us to be. It's always going to, to fight against that. So wh- what do we do? How do we overcome this? We don't. Somebody has to come in and clear it away. Somebody has to come in and do the hard work on our behalf. And so we pray in the Lord's Prayer. We'll we'll pray it again here in a little bit. Thy will be done. Remember from your catechism classes how we understand what that means when we say that, that we want God's will to be done. 
God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hallow God's name or his kingdom to come. And when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die. This is his good and gracious will. His good and gracious will is that he breaks and hinders the sin that keeps us from having peace. Peace comes at a cost. God will do some breaking and some hindering in your life. He will refine you. He will will call you to examine your life, your thoughts, your actions, the intentions of your heart. And he will confront you with those those parts of you that are outside of his ways and that, that do not follow in his paths. But here's where things get really interesting. He does these things, breaking, hindering, refining, so that you can experience his peace. Peace that's already been secured. Peace that's ours because Jesus took our sin upon himself so that he could be our peace. So that he could take those things that cause strife and division and he could put it to death on the cross. He took it all upon himself. And he paid for them on the cross. And he's become our prince of peace. As we get ready for Christmas, we often have this image of Jesus laying in the manger, right? How, you know, he was born as a baby, God in human flesh. Jesus gave his flesh and blood for the life of the world. He gave his flesh so that we can have peace. And we can become the people that God created us to be. People who live in his love and forgiveness. People who share that love and forgiveness among us. And people who extend that love and forgiveness out into the world so that they too can have peace. Christmas is coming. Presents are being picked, purchased, and prepared. What do you want for Christmas? God is giving peace this year. Do you want it? Do you need it? He gives it through faith in Jesus, and he offers peace to everyone who trusts in him. Amen.